0: Jama and I'm one of the partners here at Mercy View and tonight we're going to be reading from Ephesians 4 11 through 16 and then also 1 Corinthians 12 24 and 25. So first Ephesians 4. Let's see here. Okay. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And now you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 24 and 25. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another
1: well in college um, something happened to me that left a formative like mark on me that I will never forget in fact me and Holly affectionately I can it's affectionate now It wasn't when it happened but we affectionately call it the meeting and uh, let me just set this up for you. I was a, a young college student in St. Louis, and um, I was asked by this church in town that um, who, I, like, I was honored they would ask me to come and help them be a part of their worship team, just be a worship leader. And uh, so I started to do that, I started to participate with this church. The worship was amazing. The band we got to work with was awesome. The singers um, I actually began to do some, like, vocal coaching and stuff during college. But while I was... Um, doing this job, I got this really curious phone call from my like, immediate superior at this church. said, hey, Brad, um, we need to talk. Uh, I, I want to in, invite you. You need to come to the church at this time on this day, and I want to have a meeting with you. Now, that's all that was said. It felt ominous, but that was all that was said. And sure enough, when I showed up for that meeting that day, I walk into this sort of boardroom setting... And in that room is about six to seven people. Now, I don't know if all those people needed to be at this meeting, but there were, there were um, like all the leaders um, uh, in the worship department that I was a part of, as well as like the senior pastor, his assistant. And uh, I had to sit at the end of this, you know, like table uh, in this boardroom for the meeting. And I don't remember all the details about the meeting, but what I do remember is this. Uh, Not every one of them did this, but a few of them spoke, and and the words that they had to speak were these. Hey, Brad, we love you. We are so glad that you're here at at this church. We actually love the the way that you're leading us in worship and the the, the spirit that you're giving to that when you lead, and um, we're really grateful you're here. But you have some growing up to do. And I remember one of the things they said was like, you like need to get here on time. You know, like, like they were, they're like, you're late all the time to the rehearsals and to, to the service, so like, you need to like get here on time. And there were some other things that they, they were um, um, trying to help me out with, but the theme of the conversation was, Brad, we, we want you here and we love you, but it's time to, to grow up. Now, I walked away from that meeting very wounded. Now, I was young and immature, but I, 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 you know, I I wasn't ready for that. I didn't know that that was what the meeting was going to be about. And uh, this is really, I think, why I walked away the way I did. I had never experienced, actually, a community of people in love saying something truthful to me. It was foreign, completely foreign. So really, it probably wasn't so much that I felt wounded, I just walked away feeling like disoriented. Because actually what I think I experienced in that boardroom with that group of leaders was their attempt to love me enough to say some hard stuff so that I could grow up, so that I could mature. I think back to the meeting many, many times in my life as I think about the the ways in which the Lord has used people to help me do that very thing. The Bible actually calls us at various points in the New Testament, either spiritual children or even sometimes spiritual infants, and it's very curious language to me because you and I probably don't see ourselves that way, right? We would assume, okay, if we've been a part of the church for a while, we've been Christians for a while, surely we've grown up. But Paul says this a lot, actually, in in his writings. And he says, you need to be thoughtful and careful here, like you actually may not be as mature as you think you are. And so the idea of being matured in the faith or growing up in the faith is something that you and I should be concerned about, but I don't know if we really think about that very often. Like, how do we grow up in our spiritual lives? What does it take for us to grow from spiritual children into more mature saints? Like, does it just happen? Is it something that just if you hang out at the church house long enough, it just by osmosis you become that? Or is there some kind of intentionality that is required? Tonight we continue a, a new seven-week series that we began last week uh, entitled Deeper, Every Partner. And you, if you look on the screen, it says every partner dot, dot, dot. That's because every week um, the sermon is uh, an encouragement, a challenge to our partners here at Mercy View to consider something in particular. Last week, for example, it was every partner knowing and experiencing the gospel. And this week, we want to continue that theme by talking about the second piece of this, and, and this is uh, where we're headed tonight. Every partner equipped and cared for. Now, let me just let you behind the scenes here a little bit. Um, if you're familiar with the uh, recently we talked about. Here's what our new vision is going to be. Here's how our values are shifting a smidge here at Mercy View. One of the things that we also talked about with you is uh, what we are calling our new philosophy of ministry. In other words, this is how you and I are going to enact the vision and the values here at Mercy View. This series really is an explanation of what that philosophy of ministry is. There's about seven different things that we really feel that we need to be committed to as a body together. And so this series is a means of, of, of talking about that a little bit more, explaining that a little bit more, but also calling us together to, to move forward in, in, in pursuing these as well. In some ways, this is kind of a family meeting. I think I said that last week. So if you're here with us tonight, and you say, "Brad, I'm not a partner, this is a great time to be here. like Because you get to see who we are, what we're, what we're about, what we're desiring to be about. And maybe this could be a means of helping you decide, like, is this where the Lord would want me to join my life with these believers here for the sake of pursuing these same uh, things? So this is a great time to be here, whether you're a partner or not. Let me just say this as we get going to this idea of equipping and being cared for are, are words that we really haven't used a ton in our history. But we see it in the New Testament as something that um, we need to emphasize and and pursue together as a body moving forward as a church. And so tonight, as we do that, I want to invite you to see two things. The first is this a true disciple moves toward equipping. A true disciple moves toward equipping. And secondly, a weary disciple moves toward care. A weary disciple moves toward care. So if you have your Bible in hand or an electronic device in your hand, keep them open first to Ephesians that we looked at earlier, beginning there in verse 11. And uh, we're obviously jumping into Ephesians 4 midstream, so let me just give you a little bit of context of what Paul is doing in this particular chapter of Ephesians 4. Paul says towards the top of this chapter that, that the church is like a human body and 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 just like the human body that has one spirit that animates it christ's body the church is brought to life by the holy spirit and the holy spirit brings christians to life eternally christians do not have some separate hope but we are together called to eternal life and to enjoy god forever in resurrection glory but well, Paul goes on to say that we are also called to express that unity on this side of eternity, both by being a part of the big C church, which is just another way of saying like if, if you're a Christian, you're a part of, of God's church around the world, but also I think he, he's saying this is meant to be expressed, this unity in the little C church, which is what this is, Mercy View, a local church through our belief in the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then Paul begins to bring the focus in, I think, on the, on the Little sea Church exclusively. And he says this in verse 7, if you want to look there again, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Paul is saying that when the Spirit of God comes into your life, Something he calls grace is given to you by Jesus. Now, don't be confused. This is not the grace that we typically think of when we talk about grace. All right, this is not the unmerited favor of God through the person and work of Jesus. This is actually uh, another way of saying that Jesus gives Christians, the members of a local church, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are a grace from God. That is what Paul is saying here. And, and obviously Jesus gives a lot of things to Christians, but among those things, he gives graces or spiritual gifts in order for uh, us to take those graces and serve other people with them, to, to minister to other people in the little sea or the local church. And here's what's so beautiful about that. Like when you minister to me, with your gifts. I come to know God better through your gift. Uh, author and pastor Tim Keller actually says, there are things about God that you will not understand unless you are with someone else who then can, can gift you with that, that knowledge of God or the understanding of the gospel in a new way. I think that's true. And really that's what brings us to our passage today. After saying that God gives each of us spiritual gifts, Paul says this in verse 11. Let me read that again for us. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Paul makes an interesting turn here, really, after saying that, that to each one of us, grace or a gift or spiritual gifts have been given as Christ uh, apportions it, he, he moves to talking then about how the leaders of a local church are here to equip the members or the saints or the Christians of that local church in their gifting. Do you see that? In other words, the way that this works itself out in a local church is that God gives gifts to individuals in a local church, and the leaders of that church are then to help those folks identify, train, be trained, and, and then be released to meet spiritual needs, to meet practical needs in the body of Christ according to their giftings. It's unfortunately not the story of some churches in our own city and around the world, You've maybe been a part of a church like this before where the ministry is done by the paid professionals and you get to pay, you know, you you pay for it and you watch it happen, but that's it. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what Paul is talking about here either. God wants every part of the body to get into perfect alignment for the work of ministry This really is the idea of like the the priesthood of all believers. We're all priests. We're all ministers. So the work of ministry in the life of a local church means that every person has a part to play in that local body. Everyone who is a Christian is a minister. And, and, And the way that this works itself out is that when you and I are located properly in the body of Christ the body of christ is ministering and it's just it's it's doing stuff that that is supernatural it is powerful it's a place that becomes attractive for other people to want to be a part of it becomes a beautiful place what's interesting here to me is that paul tells us that if you want to be put into the right spot into the body if you want to be properly aligned into the body of christ there's a sense in which you need to put yourself in the way of equipping. You need to come up under or alongside equippers. They're the ones who prepare God's people for the works of ministry. They're the ones who help everybody get aligned. And you'll notice that this list of equippers, there's, there's a few categories. Let's just look, look at those real briefly. First, you have the, the category of apostles. A lot of confusion about this particular type of leader in the in the in the body. Some would say that this particular category doesn't exist anymore. And in the sense that that we think of the twelve apostles, or thirteen if you include Paul, I agree with that. Like there's no more of those apostles. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. I think mean, Paul is talking about the 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 idea of what it means to be an apostolic leader, and and let me explain what I mean. Apostolic leaders are starters, right? Think of the Apostle Paul, right, and his his story, his his missionary journeys, all the churches that he planted. Apostolic leaders proclaim the truth of the gospel, and things just are planted; (laughs) they start. Um, They they expand those things. They support those things in an ongoing way. A lot of church planters are apostolic in that sense. But how they do it is important. And and this is what I think Paul's um, intent is to, to say to us here. The apostolic leader brings absolute and objective truth to catalyze ministry. In many ways apostolic ministry is found in the written word of God because that I mean that's what the apostles had that's what catalyzed the early church but that's what an apostolic leader does as well they start things so i think there are still apostolic leaders in the church i think there are apostolic leaders in this church and i think that the future there's there's going to be more of those around The second category that Paul talks about is the category of prophets. Also, a lot of confusion and discussion and debate about what Paul is talking about here. Now, you know, in the Bible, originally, prophets were those who spoke direct words from God to challenge or to encourage others to to follow God, right? Well, that is the same spirit I believe Paul is talking about here. Um, When we think about uh, leaders, equippers in the body of Christ who speak prophetically in that way. God has given people in the body of Christ to boldly speak the word of God, to help us understand God, to understand ourselves and our church better. There is an edge to their ministry and that edge draws people to a deeper relationship with God or a deeper understanding of God's will for our lives. I've been around these folks. They have been around these folks in this church. They are willing to say a difficult or challenging thing to sharpen me. Some try to say that this kind of equipping leader is what a preacher is, and, 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 and I think a preacher does speak prophetically, but I think that this particular leader is one in the body of Christ who hears from the Lord and speaks the word of the Lord unapologetically to others. Next you see the, the, the category of, of evangelists. Paul is saying that if you have evangelists among you in the body of Christ, those folks are to help equip all of us to be evangelists as well. Right, these are the kinds of people who have the spiritual gift of being able to relate to people outside um, uh, the faith to Christ, like they lead them to Jesus. And God places those individuals in the body to both lead and spur the entire church toward the work of evangelism. And and here's the deal. All Christians are called to be evangelists, but God gives to the church men and women who are supernaturally gifted in that to both model and to equip all of us to share our faith with those who are not yet saved in the places that we live and work and play. Now, lastly, we come to the the last two categories of of shepherds and teachers. And I I think Paul's intent here is is really to combine these two and to say that the last category is a a shepherd teacher or a pastor teacher, because in many ways that is the primary way that you are to be equipped and discipled within the local church. Now pastor teacher has really two sides to their leadership and to their equipping. There is the pastoral side, this means that a, a pastor guides their people, to get in, gets involved in their lives, and moves them along, nurtures them, helps them grow. That's the personal side. But then there's the, the teacher side, the, the public teaching of the Word of God. That happens here in a worship gathering. It happens in other settings here in Mercy View. But I will say this, I do think it's within the realm of interpretation here to say that the idea of teacher can actually stand alone too. I mean Paul puts it alone, honestly, in the list. In other words, I actually think this falls within in in like, is this fine to if you if you think this, I think it's fine. Someone can be a teacher and not necessarily a pastor. Um, now, to be a pastor you have to be a teacher, but the other way around doesn't necessarily have to be the case. This is where I see both men and women flourishing in, in the life of the church. Whether it's in a pastoral setting or teaching setting, what you are gonna find though, as you receive the gifting from these equippers, is that you're, you're being released to serve others with power because you're being built up in Christ, you're maturing. So friends, as far as I can see, if you wanna be equipped for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, you have to make sure that you're not a lone ranger Christian. You have to say, I, I need to put myself under equipping um, opportunities. I need to come up under other equippers. Say, I'm not a great evangelist. I need to, I need to connect with, with someone who is, who is gifted in that so that I can learn from them and be trained by them and then be released to do that work. So how do you do that here at Mercy View practically? Well, it's a lot like what we said last week. You have to put yourself in the way of it. So opportunities that exist here at Mercy View for equipping are those ways that you put yourself in the, the way of it. And what's really cool to me is that this idea of equipping and moving more um, in a focused manner towards this as we as we uh, journey forward, it, it's, it has become our new vision for our, our church. And let me just read it to you just to remind you, this is where we are headed. This is the big vision for uh, our church, to equip individuals, families, and communities to be formed in the gospel to the glory of God. Now you know the deal, if you're a part of any sort of organization, you have a vision statement, you know that in that vision statement are some things that, you know, maybe you're already doing and you're excited about those things. But what is always captured in a vision statement is a ton. Of aspiration and so though it some of things are, are, are really I'm encouraged by there there be there there they've been going on for maybe even many years or maybe some new things that we've just started like mentoring uh, in the last year um, we recognize as as leaders as your elders here at Mercy View that we've got a lot of room to grow and, and to move forward together but we pray that this focus on this particular vision moving forward will result in much ministry among us. Because what is the purpose of, of, of the ministry? We said it in so many ways already, but, but first, so that we may be built up, right? That's what, what Paul says here. But then look at verse 13. Paul says that we are built, being built up so that we can be mature, and that is mature spiritually, right? So this is the first thing I want to invite you to see this evening. A true disciple of Jesus moves toward equipping. And maybe another way we could say it is a maturing disciple of Jesus moves toward equipping. And then what, what happens is, what, this is really cool, as you are being equipped, you are maturing, you're finding maybe that you yourself are becoming an equipper as well. And then notice in in verse 14 that Paul says that when we reach this maturity, we will no longer be infants. And Paul is saying that the reason that we need to be a part of a local church is because otherwise we will stay children. Don't miss how radical this statement is. This is coming from Paul. Paul is not saying like out and above from the church like, hey guys, this is what you need to do. I'm good, but, but like this is what... No, he is saying... I'm a part of the church too. Remember, he was the greatest missionary beside Jesus that ever the world has ever known. Paul is saying that even he, as an apostle, is spiritually immature. That he needs the church because he falls short of being mature. Like he recognizes to be a, a spiritual infant or, or or child is not good. In and in a church that stays spiritually mature or, or has, a, has a spirit of spirit spiritual childlikeness, um, in many ways, is stunted. And he alludes to a few things here to describe this for us. The first one you can see right at the top of verse 14. He says that spiritual children are tossed to and fro by the waves. Or said another way, spiritual children or infants are not steady. They go back and forth. Spiritually, what does that mean? It means if you come to church uh, on a Sunday evening and you get really convicted and you say, man, I need to change that and you don't follow through, you may be a spiritual child. I actually had a really cool thing happen um, last week after the service. Someone, I think it was the next day on Monday, texted me and said, hey, Brad, I was reflecting on the worship uh, gathering last night and, and what the Lord was trying to say to me and he he went on to say, here's a couple of ways that I would like to to uh, talk with you to see about how I can serve the body. And so that is an example of someone who who didn't do what we're talking about here, right? Didn't just come to church and say, That's, you know what, that was a really good point, really need to change that, and then went home and nothing changed. Spiritual maturity is is not being tossed to and fro by, by the waves, but rather... Um, Faithfully enduring, even when it's really difficult. And by the way, I mean, the person that sent me this, uh, this note um, is very young, all right? So it's not an age thing either. Um, you're no longer a spiritual infant whenever you are faithful, whenever you are enduring, persevering, even when it's really, really difficult. But Paul also says this, spiritual children are carried about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, spiritual children are not discerning. And so equippers in the body help you know your way around the Bible so that you can know the gospel, so that you can know good theology and be spiritually astute. And here's what Paul says is the crucial practice in really all of these settings. And whether it's the smaller, more intimate setting or the, or the larger setting. Look there at verse, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's the practice. You will not grow, I will not grow, unless we are plunged into a community of people who have this balance of truth and love in their speaking. Speaking the truth in love means absolute honesty but an honesty that is saturated with tenderness and care. Like, do you realize that that is is what you need more than than anything else, that mixture of of truth and love? Let's just talk about why if we focus only on one thing over the other, it can be very dangerous. First, love without truth is very dangerous. If you live in a place where people love you and will not let let them tell you the truth about yourself, you will never have the kind of self-knowledge that you need to have. But love without truth is dangerous too. I'm sorry, truth without love is dangerous as well. When you tell people the truth, but you're abrasive and you're cold, the other person's not only not gonna listen to the truth, they're gonna become hardened to you. You're actually gonna drive them maybe further away from the truth. So truth without love doesn't accomplish truth. And love without truth never accomplishes love. So unless we have love and truth together, we can't grow in this church body. In fact, we're going to be spiritually um, withering at the vine without it, without love and truth together. And Paul is saying that the crucial practice in this environment that we find ourselves where we're being equipped is to be plunged into a community that is speaking the truth in love. That's that's what a disciple, a a true disciple, a maturing disciple puts themselves in the way of. And in many ways, this context that we're in tonight and whether your gospel communities, equip groups, men's and women's ministries, mentoring, all of the context really here at Mercy View is intended to do that very thing for you. And what we pray is that what happens in those contexts is that that combination, that that beautiful balance of, of truth and love equips you. A disciple, a maturing disciple, a true disciple of Jesus moves toward that kind of equipping. Now, we wanna see every partner here at Mercy View equipped and discipled. But as we see our partners equipped here at Mercy View, we also wanna be a church that comes alongside the lives of the people who were on that road to change. The process of change, the process of transformation, even like the process of being equipped and and trained, um, it's weighty, like it can be really difficult. But in the end, we know it's not enough to just equip you, just to train you. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We have to be proactive and also caring for those in our church family as well. Because as we move forward together in this thing we call ministry, this thing that we call service, along the way, you are going to be disappointed. You are gonna be hurt. Uh, you are, you are gonna be offended. You are, uh, there are gonna be things said about you or things done to you that are confusing because ministry involves people. And so because of that and the impact of that uh, in both informal and informal ways here at, at Mercy View, we want to be proactive in caring for those in our church family who find themselves in a place of weariness or brokenness or even hurt. So we, we actually have been talking a lot more about this, particularly as we've regathered together, met together uh, in person here and, and and began to sort of rethink what's the future hold for us. And one of the themes that has popped up a lot is, is we need to be more responsive to the struggles and difficulties faced by those who've raised their hands and asked us to care for their souls, but also we need to be responsive as leaders, as we discern that people are hurting and move towards them as well. I love how First Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 24, says that you heard Jema read this earlier. Let me just read it again for us. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, right? There's that theme again of, of, of the body, but listen to this, that the members may have the same care for one another. And then the next little piece of that verse says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. See, there's a sense in which our unity for one another helps us care for one another as well. The reality is that you and I move into ministry, we move into service in the church, and with it comes a lot of weightiness, a lot of responsibility. Like it requires something of you. Like if you are equipped in some way, and released to do that work in, in, in some way, um, that requires something of you. It's going to require some time, energy, resources, and, and, and it's going to, in, in some ways, like the good weariness, like that you've you've served, you, you know. But sometimes it leaves you weary in not the great uh, greatest of ways. And for whatever reason, God in His wisdom has brought us together in this church for the purpose of what I call burden sharing. This brings me to the second thing I wanna invite you to see this evening. A weary disciple moves towards care. Now, I don't wanna give the impression that the only way that like you can be cared for here at Mercy View is if you raise, if you raise your hand, like it's on you. I, I do think that it's super helpful for me as a leader, if, if you have some a sense that you're not okay, obviously, if you come to me and say, Brett, I'm not okay, man, we will jump all in, you know, to serve you. But we as leaders wanna do a better job of discerning that ourselves and, and moving towards those. So it's, it's really, a, I, we, we want it to be a two-way street. But the reality is, is that if you are uh, being equipped, released into ministry, released into service, you are an equipper of some kind, you were never meant to bear the burden of ministry alone. It is meant to be shared always. And one of the primary ways that we do this is through caring for one another in an intentional way. So confession time here for just a moment. I believe we have done a pretty good job of this in the past not because of anything that I've done, but just in in particular because of the great work that John and Elizabeth uh, Floyd have done in our care and counseling uh, ministry here at Mercy View. The elders um, through the years, and even now that John is an elder with us, we have um, just felt like we've had an embarrassment of riches to have you brother and your wife to serve and many others that have come alongside John Elizabeth to serve in that area. But one of the things that, there has been a growing conviction about, uh, particularly in the last couple of of years, is that in many ways, the lifeblood of our church are our leaders. There's a lot that our leaders do here. Or said another way, as the leaders of a church go, so goes the church. So in addition to the great work that that John and Elizabeth and others have done in the care and counseling uh, world here at Mercy View for our partners and, and leaders, um, we have begun a new rhythm uh, that has been really, um, I think, super meaningful for our leaders here. And I just want to let you know about it. This is something that's kind of, it happens behind the scenes in a sense. It's not something that happens a ton, but it happens in, in, a, in sort of a rhythm for us that we think is really helpful for our leaders. It's something we call the Leadership Summit. And this, again, is just one way that we're trying to think about how to really proactively care for uh, our people here, in particular, our leaders, but we've, I think we've gotten together twice so far since we've launched this. It's, a, it's sort of a quarterly rhythm. There's a time for the leaders of Mercy View to come together to share what we're encouraged about, but also what's really difficult, and to, to pray together and to do some heart-level work so that we can be strengthened for future work. And again, I wanna commend John and Elizabeth for their vision for this. They're the ones that really said, hey, we need to, we need to do this. Actually, um, it's, it's interesting, right before COVID hit, there was a discussion about that kind of a thing happening um, because even though you know things were really rocking and rolling at that, that point, um, uh, we realized, man, our, our leaders need some more support, and some more care. So I just share that with you just as a way to say that that is uh, uh, an example of one of the ways that we are trying to intentionally care for uh, people here at Mercy View, uh, happens to be uh, our leaders here at Mercy View, but um, whether you're a leader or a partner here at Mercy View, we have a deep desire to care for you, to suffer together well with you, as Paul says there in 1 Corinthians. And we, you've heard this phrase, I think I've used it already tonight, but uh, it's a phrase that we wanna encourage you to think about as you think about the care that you might need and that is raising your hand. We want you to know that this is a safe place, a place here where you can raise your hand, and I know it's not easy. Guys, three months ago, I was not doing okay. I had um, kind of plugged through the difficulty of the, the just what ministry looked like really the last two and a half years, and I sort of answered it or justified it by like that is the burden of ministry, but I was doing the very thing that I just told you we shouldn't do, which is to do it alone. Not only that though, was I not only just saying like, okay, I'll bear that myself, I wasn't really dealing with what kind of like the emotional side or the inner life that I needed to. And I don't share that with you in any other for any other reason other than to say like, if it's okay for me to raise my hand, it's okay for you. If you need to raise your hand and say, I'm not okay, like this is, a, I hope and pray a safe place for you to do that. And I would love to talk with you more about how we could serve you. John, I know, would be honored to to do that as well. But ministry, like, again, whether you're, like, serving and ministering in some area here, you're actually kind of like one of the equippers in some area here. Um, The weightiness of the work that you have, we have to be careful not to, um, like, say, if it's hard, like, we just have to be tough and get through it. Uh, it is tough, right? We just said earlier, it requires something of us. But I think because of that, we have to be really careful not not to neglect that both the ministry, kind of the outward kind of work that we do, and then the inward stuff that that the effects of ministry have on us, we have to to uh, talk about that together. We have to sometimes talk to someone else about that to help them help us get better. And as your leaders we will do our best to do that for you, to discern if you're not doing well, but we need to ask you a favor. (laughs) Help us help you. If you're not doing well, reach out to us. We want to care for you. We don't want anyone to feel unnecessarily overwhelmed and particularly under the weight of ministry like here at Mercy View. If that's that's you, let us serve you. Um, We want you to know that if you are a weary disciple, there is care for you here at Mercy View. So a true disciple moves towards equipping, a weary disciple moves towards care. If you think about those two things, you might go, how do those two things find their way into the same sermon? <laughs> and um, here's what I would say to you. I think in the past, I would have just preached the first thing. I would have just said, let's get equipped and let's go, let's go do this, let's, you know, let's take the hill but I know my story, I know some of your stories, and actually these two things should always go together because of the weightiness of ministry, but something I've had to really wrestle with over the last three months as I have been doing my kind of own like heart level work about, uh, about needing care is this, um, whether you know you need to be equipped in some way or, or for me it was like I needed somebody to help like help me, Um, it requires something, it requires, the one thing for me in particular I think it requires is a deep sense of humility, Uh, to be equipped to serve others means that you aren't in it for yourself, you're in it for the glory of God, right, and the good of the the ones that you're serving, you're pouring yourselves out in, in ministry so that God is made much of, I hope you are, and that the people you are, 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 are serving are being transformed by the gospel. Like, that. that's why I got into this. I hope that's why you are here to serve others. But the only way that, that you and I can move towards equipping or care is in and through humility. So where do we get that? I think the, the, the way that you and I move towards the kind of humility that we need to pursue in equipping and care is to see the humility of Jesus. Like we have to get Philippians 2 massaged deeply into our hearts. So what does what Paul say about Jesus in Philippians 2? Did not account, account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, when I hear Philippians 2, and if you've been in the church for a while, you you may have heard it before, maybe you've heard it a lot. And for passages that we hear a lot, it's it's very easy for us, I think, to let it go in one ear and, and out the other. But I just want to, just for a moment tonight, if if humility is what is required for us to pursue equipping and and care, I think it would be really helpful for us to to look at this for just a moment and see if the Lord wouldn't be so gracious to help us grow a little bit, or maybe a lot, um, in our humility. So as I look at this, the humility of Jesus is what led him to the cross to die. And what did he die for? He died for the very things that get in the way of my humility, <laughs> my pride, my self-absorption. If there was anyone who had the right to boast about his status, it was Jesus. He was God. So how did he think of that status? Like what was his heart's reaction to it? What value did he assign it, at least in his incarnation it says that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's mind-blowing to me, friends, but that is humility. Humility is what drove the mission of Jesus. So don't miss what this humility let him do, right? It, it, it says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and what you need to see there is this. His humility cost him to choose something. He chose death, even death on a cross. Of all the ways to die, he was obedient. He chose to die a cruel death for you. And here in this verse we see that Paul is not just saying look to Jesus to get humility. Yes look to Jesus, but he is our example, he is our model. But he's saying that to get humility, you have to do something else here. Like if we stopped here, it'd just be like, okay, Jesus is a great example to follow, but, but that doesn't sustain. When we see the word humbled in Philippians, we tend to read it very tenderly <laughs> with a lilt. But I actually think it's helpful to substitute a very close cousin of this word, to help us understand the weight of what is actually happening in that verse. Verse eight of Philippians two, and being found in human form, Jesus humiliated himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, Jesus was humiliated for you. Philippians two is saying that if you want to be humble like Jesus, yes, you should look to Jesus. But you also have to receive that Jesus was humiliated for you. It's one thing to look to Jesus as our example for humility. It's another thing to receive that Jesus was humiliated for you so that you can be humble. You see the difference? Professor and author Ruchelli says it this way, Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. By the way, that's why Christianity is true, I think. No religion would allow that kind of truth to be told because it would show weakness. Only a religion that records the humiliation of its God could be true. So what does it mean that you have to receive the humiliation of Jesus? It just means this. It means where you deserved to be humiliated for your sin. You deserved justice. Jesus took your place. It means that you have to receive that he was humiliated for you when he endured the wrath of God on your behalf. Jesus had to endure knowing God was not angry or wanted revenge with him, but that his moral perfection demanded a substitute for sin. And that substitute was himself. You have to see that where you deserve to be humiliated for your sin, Jesus took your place. Friends, that is how you and I get the kind of humility that empowers us to move towards things like equipping things like care it is the humility of Jesus that empowers our humility so not only let us look to Jesus but let us receive Jesus together let's pray